five solved cold cases from the 1980s. Many cases of terrible crimes go unsolved for many years, but thanks to the improvements of technology, some of these cases are reopened and solved. Here are five solved cases from the 1980s. Number five, Risa Trexler, 1984. It's been 36 years since Risa Trexler's horrific murder. After a strenuous investigation, the case went cold for three and a half decades. But only recently, with the use of DNA and genetic genealogy, investigators were able to shed light on who killed the young girl. It was June 15, 1984, when the 15-year-old was found naked in her bedroom at her grandparents' house in North Carolina. Upon closer examination, investigators found multiple stab wounds and that her spinal cord had been completely severed. The steel blade was actually still lodged in Trexler's right shoulder during the autopsy. Even more damning, semen, supposedly from the killer, was recovered from her body. The initial investigations went nowhere, and so for over three decades the case went cold. Rumors were rampant around the small town of Salisbury about who could have committed such a gruesome act. Some even said that Trexler's sister, who was 13 years old at the time, was the culprit. She appeared on the Dr. Phil show in 2018 to take a polygraph test to prove her innocence, and that appearance sparked new interest in the case. According to Sergeant Travis Schellenberger from the Salisbury Police, detectives went back and reviewed the evidence, conducted interviews, and collected DNA samples to try to solve this seemingly impossible case. With the use of genetic genealogy, a technology that compares unknown DNA evidence to public databases, detectives were able to find a match to the semen left behind on Trexler's body. This type of testing had not yet been developed during the time of the murder, but detectives were now able to determine a prime suspect, a man who was in his 40s during the time of the crime. But according to police, the unnamed suspect died in 2007, Lieutenant Greg Beam said they are not releasing the name of this suspect as he has no means of defending himself in the court of law. However, they were able to match the suspect's DNA to the semen found on Trexler after exhuming his body. At first, police speculated that Trexler's killer could have been a family member, but DNA testing proved that the killer had no relation to the Trexlers at all. WBTV, a news station in Charlotte, North Carolina, identified the most probable suspect as Curtis Blair as per the court warrant. Blair had a long criminal history, including assault with a deadly weapon. Witnesses claimed they saw a man that closely matched the description of Blair fleeing from the crime scene at the time of the homicide. Investigators said that based on genetic, genealogical, and circumstantial evidence, Blair was a very strong candidate for the DNA profile. As of today, the police have closed the case. No charges were filed after the investigation and Trexler's sister was able to clear her name. As said by Sergeant Schellenberger, nothing is going to bring Risa back, but we have some closure to the case now. Number 4. Kathleen Flynn, 1986 
Kathleen Flynn was walking home from Ponus Ridge Middle School in Norwalk, Connecticut on September 23, 1986, but she never made it. Worried that she had not come home at her usual time, her mother reported her missing. It wasn't until the next day that Kathleen's partially clothed body was found in the woods, 158 feet from the pathway. According to investigators, she was abducted on her way home down Hunter's Lane, her usual route. The autopsy revealed that Kathleen had died of asphyxia due to ligature strangulation. Ligature marks were visible around her wrists and neck, indicating that the 11-year-old was bound and strangled with some sort of rope or cord. Norwalk Police Chief Carl LaBianca and the entire department became consumed with solving this case. Even though they accumulated mounds of evidence, conducted hundreds of interviews, and ran a myriad of tests, nothing came to fruition, and the case ran cold for more than 30 years. One of the first suspects in Kathleen's case was a man named Mark Karen. Karen was accused of a sexual assault in early 1986. He raised suspicions because his charges involved eerily similar characteristics with that of Kathleen's murder. While interviewed by Norwalk police, Karen admitted that he visited the school to see some teachers and a librarian, but on the 23rd, he maintained that he was walking around Connecticut Avenue looking for a job. Also, investigators noted that he was very nervous and apprehensive and smoked three cigarettes during the interview. Karen added that he did not know Kathleen and was innocent, but he could not provide an alibi the afternoon that she disappeared. Investigators collected hair samples from Karen, and after comparing these with the evidence found on Kathleen, investigators could not find a direct match. This is mainly because those tests were not as sophisticated as the types of tests we do today. During the two years after Kathleen's murder, numerous hair samples from potential suspects were tested, but none of those matched. Frustrated, investigators had felt like they had run into a dead end. Karen was implicated on multiple charges after the murder of Kathleen. These included an abduction, an attempted kidnapping, and at least two cases of sexual assault. He was eventually sentenced to 10 years in prison for his continuous offenses during 1986 to 1988 and had to be registered as a sex offender. At the beginning of 1999, evidence relating to Kathleen's murder was re-examined using newer forensic and genetic technologies. It was an extremely slow and painstaking process, according to investigators. During this time, older and smaller pieces of evidence ruled out earlier suspects. The case was then transferred from the Norwalk Police Cold Case Unit and assigned to Lieutenant Art Weisgerber. Lieutenant Weisgerber initiated the reinvestigation of Karen and obtained warrants for the reexamination of his hair samples. In 2010, Kathleen's clothes and fingernail scrapings were tested for touch DNA. And finally, in 2017, a warrant was issued to Karen, who had been released from prison by that time and living up in Maine, for new samples and DNA swabs. By this time, it had been more than 30 years since the murder first occurred, but the results came back and it indicated that Karen could not be eliminated as the source of the DNA in Kathleen's fingernail scrapings. With all the tests, evidence, and previous crimes mounted against Karen, he was eventually arrested. 
Robert Fabrizio, the Norwalk detective bureau commander at the time of Kathleen's murder, expressed how exhausting the investigation was, but that his team persevered even after three decades. He added, With technology, things show up. I'm amazed, but I'm really glad there's some closure for the family. Number 3. Adam Walsh, 1981 It's every parent's nightmare to lose a child. This nightmare turned into reality for John and Rev Walsh when their son Adam was kidnapped on July 27, 1981. The six-year-old accompanied his mother to a department store at a mall in Hollywood, Florida. He was kidnapped and his decapitated head was found a month later. Since there were no credible leads, the case went unsolved for many years. As Rev was shopping, Adam stayed at a kiosk where other children were taking turns playing video games. At around 12.15 p.m., Rev returned to the kiosk only to find that Adam and the other boys had disappeared. According to a store manager, there was a dispute over whose turn it was to play the games. Then the security guard demanded that all the children leave the store unless their parents were there. According to his parents, Adam must have been too shy to explain to the security guard that he was waiting for his mother, so he simply followed the other children. Rev had paged for her son continuously over the public address system and looked for him throughout the entire store. After more than 90 minutes of searching, though, she called the Hollywood police at 1.55 p.m. The search for the boy went on for a couple of weeks, and on August 10th, detectives found the severed head of a child in a drainage canal alongside the Florida Turnpike. Hoping it wasn't their son, Rev and John went on national television stating that there was a $100,000 reward for anyone who could guarantee his return. Soon after that appearance, though, the severed head was confirmed to be that of Adams. According to a coroner, the six-year-old's death was caused by asphyxiation. Judging by the state of the remains, it was most likely that he had died several days before the officers discovered him. To this day, the rest of Adams' body has never been found. Otis Toole, a convicted serial killer, confessed that he was the murderer. In his confession, he lured Adam into his 1971 Cadillac promising candy and toys. Initially compliant, the young boy started to panic as he was being taken away from the department store. Toole then punched him in the face, knocking him unconscious. After realizing that he was still alive and breathing, Toole decapitated him with a machete and disposed of his body by incinerating it. He claimed that his motive was to adopt Adam. Throughout the years of the investigation, police lost the bloodstained carpet from Toole's car, the machete, and eventually the car itself. Toole had repeatedly confessed to the abduction and murder, but then he retracted all of his confessions and claimed he had no involvement. On September 15, 1996, Toole died from cirrhosis of the liver in prison. He was never charged for the murder, but he was serving a life sentence for the other crimes he committed. However, Hollywood Police Chief Rick Stone says, beyond a reasonable doubt, that Toole was Adam's murderer. And while no new evidence has been presented, Adam's case was closed on December 16, 2008. The police announced they were satisfied that Tool was the killer. Number 2. Marcy Belex, 
1985. A gruesome case of the rape and murder of a 12-year-old girl in 1985 had gone cold for 35 years. But on March 25, 2020, Spokane police announced that investigators had solved the case with the help of DNA analysis technology. According to authorities, Marcy Balex ran away from her home on August 2, 1985. Two days later, her body was found in an impound yard. The autopsy revealed that she was raped and stabbed 31 times. Upon further tests, she was killed at the exact location where her body was and she had no defensive wounds. Investigators pinpointed 87 possible suspects. Sadly, though, without hard proof, the case went cold. In recent years, a Virginia DNA technology company obtained a DNA sample from the crime scene. They submitted it to a genetic database for comparison, hoping to find someone who might match the possible suspect. After these tests, police were able to link the DNA found at the crime scene to that of Clayton Gies. He was 22 years old at the time of Belek's rape and murder and was living in Spokane, Washington. His records showed that he had a very minor criminal background. He had been arrested once for marijuana possession. But the investigation reached a dead end when they started looking for Gies and discovered that he had died in a car crash in Spokane Valley in January of 1989. It was requested that his remains be exhumed to run further tests and his family willingly complied. Police were able to confirm that his DNA was a match to the samples found at the 1985 crime scene. In fact, it was one of the closest DNA matches investigators had ever come across. This revelation brought relief to Belex's parents and four sisters. As stated by Captain Brad Arleth, justice in this case, maybe not, the guy is deceased. But closure, I think, for the family, for the community, and for the people who remember that. Number 1. British Columbia Couple, 1987 After more than 30 years since it occurred, a 55-year-old Seattle-area man has been arrested for the double homicide of a young Canadian couple murdered in Washington. Thanks to the sophisticated DNA tests of today, William Earl Tabbitt II was taken into custody after his DNA matched the samples collected from the crime scene. 20-year-old Jay Cook and Tanya Cullenberg, who was 18 at the time, both from Sanic, British Columbia, were last seen on November 18, 1987. Tanya's body was the first to be located on November 25th. The autopsy revealed that she had been sexually assaulted, tied up, and shot in the head. At first, investigators suspected that Jay was responsible, but two days later, his body was discovered 60 miles from where Tanya's was found. He had been beaten with rocks and strangled. There were multiple public appeals, but detectives were unable to get viable leads. It wasn't until April 11, 2018 that a new technique, snapshot DNA phenotyping, helped create a composite sketch of the suspect using the semen found in Tanya's pants. Additionally, a forensics laboratory uploaded the DNA to public genealogy databases. After matching with some of Talbot's great-grandparents, Investigators identified the 55-year-old as the prime suspect. 
They confirmed their suspicions by obtaining a DNA sample from a paper cup he had discarded. He was an exact match. Talbot, who was 24 years old at the time of the murders, was charged with abduction, rape, and double homicide. And for the last 20 years, he worked as a truck driver with no additional criminal record. After pleading not guilty to all the charges, Talbot was found guilty on June 28, 2018. He was given two life sentences and is currently in the Washington State Penitentiary. Laura Banstra, Jay's sister, told the press that while it was a painful 31 years since the horrific murders, the arrest brought their family relief, joy, and great sorrow. So there were five cold cases from the 1980s. It can be utterly heartbreaking for a victim's family if their case goes cold. Thankfully, though, technology and unyielding investigators give the families hope and, more importantly, closure. If you like this video, then hit the notification bell and subscribe to our channel. We have new videos coming out every week on Wednesdays and Saturdays that we know you'll want to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.